everybody. My name's Todd Adams. And this is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. We have a wonderful show planned for you all. And uh, so here's the headlights. Uh, the headlights? Did you say the headlights? The head the headlines. Yes. Um, self-compassion versus self-esteem. Mm-hmm. How a- about the importance of self-compassion? And narcissism. I think sometimes people worry that if they're self-compassionate that that turns into narcissism. Not true. Um, my thing, and I don't know if this will be in the middle of the end, but ladies, if you're listening, we're going to talk about a point system as it pertains to love and how a man, generally speaking, will love a woman and how a woman will love a man. And it's about relationships. What you? But you started by saying a point system. What does that have to do with anything? I'm going to explain it, but it's how it's all messed up. We have a certain perception of what is important to a woman, and it's we're a little off. We're a little off. That's all. You're you're a little off. We th- why it, does everything with men have to be like a game? Because we're built differently. Ah, because it's like it's interesting just that you're going to describe it in terms of a point system. Well, that's actually what it's called. Oh, okay. Didn't you hear the thingy thing? I did, but I'm even questioning the thingy thing. Like it's You're just questioning funny. John Gray? No, no, I'm not questioning. He came up with it, sweetie. I'm not questioning the science of it. I'm questioning the, or the background of it. I'm questioning, I'm just asking the question, why does everything have to be, because I'm thinking about some, some things that women think about and we don't categorize things in terms of games. I know, and we do. Right. Everything is a game. Right, so that was the question I was asking, my love. And my answer is we are hardwired differently. Got it. Um, and then we're going to talk about um, quit telling your kids to try harder. Yes. Okay. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about Zen Parenting Radio, episode number 145. Mm, good Zen number. Parenting Radio is a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom. Who is that? That's me. And a logical and practical dad. That's me. We have three daughters, ages six, eight, and 10. And our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but more importantly, a better you. Um, but First, I've shared this quote before. It's just so important, and I love it. And I feel like if we could steal this as our own, I would love to, but we can't. Why not? The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Oh, amen. How does that not sum up everything we ever talk about on well, the show? And that's everything I ever write about. That's what the self-aware parent is. I, the, want, I want that to be our mission statement. All right. Let's do it. The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Well, and there is no other way around it. Like, it's if you're trying to go at helping your child from the surface level, meaning I'm just going to focus on my child, what he's doing, what she's doing, what you know, and not look at myself, then it's going to be an uphill battle because everything about parenting is about how you perceive the world. Um, and we're also going to do ter- Tournament of Bad. Okay. And a quick question maybe at the end of the show, depending. This is an aggressive schedule. Always. All right. Always. Um, but first, this Friday, it's a big Friday for Zen Parenting Radio. Where's where's our... Not that. No, that's... Not that. Not that. That's you. You're cuckoo. There it is. This Friday, Conversations with People We Love. It's our bi-monthly installment of Zen okay. Parenting Radio. All right. And uh, this He's Friday... back the world word installment. That's right. Never never say die. This Friday, we're going to be interviewing a woman named Heather Criswell, and she um, wrote a book. And that book is called... 
I always think about her game Wise Inside. That's How to I Raise a Happy Child. Right. And that's her book. But we also have a game that Heather created. Mm-hmm. And it's a game that we have played as a family. Like I said, it's called Wise Inside. And it, it has all these words. And you have to describe how you, you know, how you relate to these words. And it just is, it creates a really great conversation. So Heather does a lot of different things. So we're looking forward to that. So, um, and then our first partner is Helping Hands Maid Services. They do maid services for us. You always correct me on saying that. They do maid services for us. They that's, do. That doesn't make any they sense. They do do maid services. They are ser- a maid service for and they us. come and clean our house. That's a lot more words. I know, but maid services for us is like a, it's a cheap way out. So uh, helpinghandsmaidservices.com, 630-530-1324. Please support us by supporting our partner who happened to do a really amazing job. Yes. All right. So let's go to uh, self-compassion versus self-esteem. What do you got for me? Well, let me just start with talking about self-compassion and why we're discussing this. So last weekend, I was gone for three days, which is big for me to go away. I went to Boulder, Colorado to a conference called Emerging Women, had a pretty amazing lineup um, of speakers. And I knew as soon as I saw it, I saw it in spiritual, Spirituality and Health magazine that this was coming and I knew I had to go. Mm-hmm. I said to Todd, this is what I want to go to. I haven't been to a conference in ages and I'm going to fly to Colorado. So went to this conference, and um, the first person who spoke was Brene Brown, which you know if you listen to this show, we obviously love her, which does you know the rest of the world does as well, just because she's brought up um, all this um, research around vulnerability and what it really takes to feel like a whole person. Now, interestingly enough, um, one of the people that influenced Brene a tremendous amount is a woman named Kristen Neff, who was also there at this conference. Kristen Neff is the researcher. Um, she's a researcher, and she's focused all of her uh, career on self-compassion and how self-compassion is actually the way, again, to wholeness and to change and to self-improvement and to um, just contentment. Mm -hmm. Self-compassion is the way to it. Um, And so, like I said, Brene Brown took her research to verify her own research, and it was just fun to have them both there in the room. A lot of research. Well, there's a lot. Here's the thing about this conference that I went to. It was everything that I've already believed and that I've talked about for years and years and years, but the majority of the speakers were researchers. They they were um, doctorate-level researchers, practitioners, who have finally proven that the things that people have been saying and you know believing for years is true. Right. Because we used to think that being critical on ourselves would make more change than self-compassion. Not true. Research shows the opposite. You know, we used to think that um, you know, getting on our kids' case and telling them that they weren't good enough would somehow empower them. Not true. Right. It's the opposite. So I was so I was in my very warm place for those three days because I was so content with what I was hearing. Well, and you've been to some of those, not like this one, but you do workshops every few years or something like that. And usually, you know, like the one conference that you've gone to and I've gone with you is called I Can Do It. And that's great. I Can Do It and Celebrate Your Life. They're very similar types of conferences. And those are wonderful conferences, but that's more warmy, touchy, feely stuff. And it sounds like what you're saying from this last one that you went to is it was more science-based and not that that requires you to prove these things to make sure that you understand it, but it is nice to come at it from a slightly different angle than people just saying, hey, let's just love one another. Well, here's the thing about the the Hay House group and Celebrate Your Life and, um, you know, a, a lot of the speakers, you know, the Louise Hayes, the Marianne Williamson's, the Wayne Dyers. I've been listening to them my whole life and I've always known that what they say feels right, mm-hmm. Okay. 
But now we have research to back it up. So though when you're saying those conferences were touchy-feely, I always loved them. I adored them, and I'd still go to them if they were coming to Chicago more often. But it was more like, doesn't this feel right? Doesn't this feel right? And everyone agreed. But now we have the doesn't this feel right and, and here, you go. here you go with research. It's so um, – what's the word? Validating. And it's so great as a teacher myself mm. to be able to present this so the, the skeptics can say, oh, okay. Well, and it's not – that's what's funny is because it's not necessarily for you because you believe it to it. be – You already <laughs> yeah. knew it. Yeah. But what you can say is to the naysayers, like I'm more probably from the research base, give me a – a formula to prove something and then I'll believe it. I'm more likely to believe it than just telling me something because it feels the right way. Exactly. And I think that's what the beauty of, you know, basically research is just somebody who has a, has a belief system already and they want to make it valid and they want to get it published Mm -hmm. and everything. So the people who are doing this research, I think are people who are living this way already. And they're like, okay, how do we verify this? Because nobody's focusing on this. No one's putting their energy here and we keep trying to do things the exact same way and expect different results. And we have to understand that if we're really going to make a change in this world, we have to understand why people change. So how do we make a change in this world? Okay, so let's talk about self-compassion and and make this interesting for everybody. So again, Kristen Neff, she she actually wrote a book and did research on self-compassion. And what she came to understand is that self-compassion is a lot, it's not even just a lot more, it is more effective than self-criticism. And she also talked about how self-compassion and self-esteem are two different things. A lot of times when people think of self-esteem, they get worried that someone, either themselves or their children, will become narcissistic. Right. Okay, because they're going to get so focused. And we have that in this country. Everybody thinks they are above average. Right. If you call somebody average... It's a slight. It's a slight. Yeah. So we all walk around thinking that we're special and above average. Now, I do believe that in the sense that we all do have a special gift that we come here with, but it doesn't, it's not about competition. It's all different. So it's not about making you better than somebody. It's about that you have to hone and own your own gifts. And then that just keeps us kind of all on a level playing field. Meet your own capacity. Exactly. Um, yeah, uh, and know that what your the word I've been using with you is your native genius, which is another thing I heard this weekend about know what gifts you came in with. Right, like you and I came in with different gifts, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make me better than you or you better than me. I'm going to quote the Bronx Tale. Have you ever seen that? Uh, De Niro. De Niro. He directed it, and one of the last lines of the movie is there's there's nothing worse in the world than wasted talent. Amen. And that's kind of where we're going, right? And don't die with your music inside of you. Same thing. You know, same kind of thing where it's a, you have to know what your gifts are and quit trying to be better than others. Now, here's the thing about self-esteem. Self-esteem, while that used to be like the big buzzword years ago, you know, how to improve your child's self-esteem. The thing about self-esteem is, is, and again, I'm taking this language from Kristen Neff, it's a fair weather friend Mm -hmm. because what happens is when we focus on, okay, we're special, we're great at things, if we're not, meaning we have some kind of failure or we don't win the soccer game or we don't win the award, then it turns inside on us Mm. where self-esteem works when we're doing well. Right. But when we're not doing well, it becomes our enemy. It becomes baggage. It becomes baggage. Like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. Okay. So self-compassion. So self-esteem is a, it's, it's conditional. Exactly. Thank you. You're welcome. There is a reason we do this work together. That's right. It's conditional. I feel good about myself when I'm doing this, but when I'm not winning or I'm not getting an it A, turns inward it and, turns inward. And, and then it becomes negative self-talk. Thus a, re- a reason kids decide to cheat. Mm-hmm. Thus a reason kids are willing to be aggressive or, you know, not be, uh, or to climb all over other kids to get to something. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm meaning that not literally, but 
you know, they'll hurt other people to be the best. Right. Um, you know, it's they do that because they have to keep verifying in themselves that they are the best. Right. Self-compassion is the act of trusting and loving yourself regardless. And self-compassion has three three pieces to it. Self-kindness, common humanity. Okay, and I'll explain what that I'm, is. I'm writing these down. Do okay. you say common, C-O-M-M? Common humanity. Okay. And what I mean by that is just that we're all the same, common okay. humanity. Same, same. And <laughs> same, same. And Liz Gilbert was there too mm-hmm. at this conference. And you're t- you, that's what Katut says. Yep. And he pray love. Do you, do you want me to go on? Well, We should have um, had a Katut quote. There's plenty of Katut quotes. I know. Same, same. Um, and the last one is mindfulness. Okay? So those those are the three things. Self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. And again, these are chapters and chapters and chapters of writing. But what I'm going to summarize it is, is that self-kindness is understanding that we are normal. And that when we make mistakes or when we don't win or when we aren't on the top or when that that there's a normalcy to that, that we're not supposed to be all the time, that that doesn't make us less of a person. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. And so there's a sense of having, treating yourself, talking to yourself like you would talk to a friend. We, we talk to ourselves more negatively than, than we, we talk, talk to, to our friends, than anybody in the world. Right. Okay. We are so hard on ourselves and so cruel to ourselves internally. Mm-hmm. And to have an understanding that when something doesn't go right, to practice the kind of kindness that we give, extend to others. Right. I would agree with that. And I don't know why that is. I, I am a highly critical of myself, especially with stupid stuff. Like if I lose my wallet, I get so wound up. I know. And I get so frustrated. Like I lost, I lost my wallet on Saturday for a few hours and it was buried in Skyler's room for some reason. But um, if, you do, you, yeah. if you lost your wallet, I'd be like... Relax. Right. What's the big deal? Well, and I get all wound up. It carries baggage with it. Here's the thing about about self kindness is a lot of it. She talks a lot about attachment theory. Kristen mm-hmm. Neff does. That was a lot the a lot of the basis of her research. And for those of you that don't know attachment theory, if we didn't understand attachment, or if we didn't have a an innate understanding of attachment because of the way that we were raised or the experience we had in childhood, then we don't really know that feeling of being held and safe. Right. Thus, the reason that attachment parenting became so popular. Popular, um, even though everything gets misconstrued, the issue, the thing about attachment parenting is just giving your kids a soft place to land mm-hmm. when they're infants, allowing them to be close to you if necessary, co-sleeping if that's what you know your child is feeling they need to calm themselves. It's that sense of being held, right. and a lot of kids didn't have that kind of attachment. With their parents, right? Um, and again, maybe because their parents were told to parent in a different way, right. or you know, this is not about blame; it's about understanding. And if we didn't have that inner sense of being held and 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 soothed, it's very difficult it's to a, soothe ourselves. It's a primal need. It's a primal. And if we need. go, if we spend the first two years of our life without that, yes, then we are up against the eight ball. We can't access it, yeah, because we didn't get it, right. you know. So it's like we don't it's know. It's a how tough to thing it. to learn. After that, very tough. Yeah. It can be learned if you f- if you find a relationship in your adulthood, mm-hmm. or you know, as you go on teen years or whatever, with someone you do trust and that does honor that, right? Um, because then you can grow. You know, it's something that can grow, but it's a it's a lot more difficult, right? And um, I was going to say something else about attachment. What was the question you just asked me, Toddy? Uh, I don't know. 
Okay. So anyway, I, were talking oh, about, I know about your wallet. Oh yeah, my wallet. So the other thing is, is that the things in our past that we've been criticized for. Mm-hmm. And when you have lost serious things. Like a leather jacket? Yes. You have been. My dad uh, had a leather jacket and he put me in charge <laughs> of keeping uh, an eye on it yes. for like a summer or a year. Yes. And I lost it. So I don't know what happened. Yes. But, oh man, he loves me, but man, he made me feel bad. When I lost it, and it's you know this goes into a completely different subject, but I disappointed him because he held me out on this pedestal as somebody yes. who doesn't lose leather jackets, yes. and I lost it. So, anyways, so you're saying that has something to do with my baggage? I think so. I mm-hmm. think that there's this thing in you that you think to be lovable, you have to be on that pedestal, that you have to be doing everything right. I need to, to be, be lovable, uh, reliable, constantly, yeah. constantly. And self compassion is about when you're not reliable, it doesn't make you less lovable. Mm-hmm. What it does is make you human. Right. And and again, I'm saying this to you, but you know I struggle with this as sure. well. Every human being does. Right. It isn't like, oh, I got it. I'm not going to struggle anymore. It's a practice. Right. And so self-kindness, um, I just wanted to um, say one thing specifically from the book. Uh, let's see. Self-kindness by definition means we stop the constant self-judgment and disparaging internal commentary that most of us come to see as normal. Mm-hmm. See, that's the thing. It requires us to understand our failures instead of condemning them. and entails clearly seeing the extent to which we harm ourselves through self-criticism and this internal war. So it's like this constant – we. We think it's normal. We don't even question it, okay? The next one is common humanity. Right. Understanding what I just said to you is true. We all do this. Mm-hmm. We all fail sometimes, and that's another thing. Failure, mm-hmm. again, I'm, there's so much information I have in my head right now, but from this conference, the importance of of failure right. in our lives that we need to fail. We'll just do a full show on that later because okay. that's too big of a thing. But that everyone fails. Nobody's perfect. Everyone loses their wallet sometimes. Yeah. Everyone says something stupid at a party. Everybody has regrets. Everybody has regrets. I've had a few. What's that? That's... Oh, you're singing Frank. Yeah. Okay, I couldn't tell. Keep oh my going. gosh, how can you not know that? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Are you go- now you're going to pull up Frank. Actually, you talked about science earlier? Yeah. Well, this is science. <laughs> this is science. Science. Do you remember this video? Um, no. You don't remember this video? Miss Sakamoto? No. Do you remember her? And he's playing her like a bass or whatever, or like a violin. I didn't really um, watch that video all that often. You didn't? Much more than this. <laughs> I, I did it my way. Are you telling me that I didn't sound like that? You didn't really sound like him. Regrets. I had, had a few. But then again. again too few to mention. You know what's so great about that? When you're reviewing your life, you want to look at the things that you tried and didn't work or things that you experienced and and maybe it didn't work out, but you're so glad you at least made an attempt. Like when you're reviewing your life, if it all just worked out and you were just kind of riding the surface, boring. Totally boring. And I feel most alive when I'm taking risks risks and I'm presenting to people and I'm doing all those other things. But I will tell you that there's always this kind of weird part of me that just kind of wishes I was like a truck driver. Yeah, and the, oh, you get you get your load, you you pick it up, 
you you deliver it and you don't have to mess with anybody. Totally. Like there's a certain safety. That is your inter that is your small cuz you we talk about that I'm an introvert you're an extrovert. That mm-hmm. is your introvert coming out. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel sometimes. Mm-hmm. Is I just don't feel like answering the door. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And and I may have that more strongly than you do, but just like you said, I come alive when I present to people. I come alive talking on the show. I come alive when I'm dancing with my friends somewhere. So it's both. Well, and like, unless you're like, nervousness is a wonderful gift. It is. Like, unless you're nervous, you're, you're not. There's nothing at stake. Totally. You know, you need to take risks. Well, and you know what I love is I've talked about this on the show before, but it's helped me uh, mentally so much. Is I try and do a brave thing every day, and they're not huge things. They're like. You know, call that person back right now Mm -hmm. instead of waiting or answer the door or go say hello to someone, even though you'd much rather just hide in your car. Those are like the brave things I do every day. And that's what makes me feel alive. They don't have to be huge things. Like at the conference, um, going back to the conference, there was this mother-daughter team that presented and spoke and I got their book and we'll talk about them on a different show, but they were wonderful. And obviously what you and I are doing with BU is very similar. So they were in the front row, they were presenters and we were kind of in a lull waiting Mm. and I was sitting there going, go do your brave thing, go do your brave thing. And I walked up to them, gave them my card. They gave me theirs. We were like, you know, women are so great because we're like holding hands. and, And my point in telling that is the reason I did it is because I said to myself, go do your brave thing Mm -hmm. rather than the commentary of, oh, what if they don't want to talk to me? What if I annoy them? That's negative talk. Well, and then on top of that, think if you would have said, oh, you know, they're busy. It would have been easy for you to justify not to walk up to them. And then the whole day you would have been regretting it. Exactly. And let's say why I called it the brave thing is because maybe I would have annoyed them, Mm -hmm. but I'm doing I'm overstepping that Got to put yourself out there. And it was a two-second thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like, but that's big for Kathy. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the thing is when we're talking to you guys and you're like, well, I don't speak in front of people. I don't do that. You, thank you. That's big thank for you, Kathy. Thank you. You know what your brave things are because mm-hmm. it's different for everybody. And don't compare. Remember, this is not about who's doing a bigger, braver thing. You know what your brave things are. So start there. So common humanity. We're all trying to do brave things. We're all making mistakes. We're all failing. So understanding you're not alone. And then the third one about self-compassion is Mm -hmm. mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing about mindfulness. I like that one. Me too. Mindfulness is just having an awareness of what your thoughts are doing. And when you have an awareness of what your thoughts are doing, meaning your thoughts are being self-critical, saying, Todd, I can't believe you lost your wallet again, or you're going to have to go get all your credit cards, you know, you're going to have to do this and you're going to have to go get your license and you've spun into this cycle. That's my roommate. That's your inner neurotic roommate. Untethered soul. That's right. If you want to know about your roommate, read Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And it's all about negative self-talk and that's your roommate and your roommate doesn't move out. So you have to engage in a cordial relationship with your roommate who is just your thoughts or maybe your ego, whatever term you want to give it. So anyways. Exactly. And that's a good way to see it so it doesn't seem so scary and abnormal. So yes. you don't feel so. Well, if I can identify it as my roommate, then I know it's not me. Exactly. You know what I mean? And that's the next thing about mindfulness that Kristen Neff talks about is mindfulness is not about looking at your thoughts and engaging them. It's recognizing them and not over-identifying with them. Mm -hmm. Because what we do is we see our thoughts and we experience them and feel them and we say, oh, no, don't over-identify with it. Recognize that everything you're thinking in that moment isn't happening. Mm -hmm. I have to go get my license. What if I can't find it? What would people think of me? I can't believe I'm so, you know, none of that's true right then. Mm -hmm. All you need to focus on is I can't find my wallet. So I need to keep looking. Mm -hmm. Later, 
If yeah. the next day you can't find it, take steps to get yeah. a new wallet. Right. But we over-identify and so to not over-identify. So the three steps to self-compassion, mm-hmm. number one, self-kindness, mm-hmm. treat yourself like you would a friend or at least practice doing that, right. recognizing what you're doing. Number two, notice the normalcy of you, mm-hmm. the common humanity. And number three, be mindful mm-hmm. and don't over-identify. So those kind self-compassion is the first step toward everything Mm -hmm. towards your parenting, thinking about your kids, Mm -hmm. understanding that teaching them to be critical of themselves, criticizing them, telling them that they're not enough, that will not empower them. It disempowers them. I want to talk about that, but first I want you to talk about our second partner, uh, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care. Will you give a a quick two cents to Dr. Kelly? I will. And let me say that because I was in a chair a lot for the last three or four days, I'm excited to go tomorrow. So chirotree.com, 630-941-8733. Healthy Families by Choice, Not by Chance. This is Dr. Kelly, our chiropractor. There's also um, a masseuse there. Mm -hmm. And Eleni, Eleni, who Todd goes to see. And um, again, if you have not been to Dr. Kelly, mention ZPR and you get a uh, complete chiropractic exam, x-rays, and a report from Dr. Kelly for only $27. And she takes most insurance, so that won't be a big issue for you. I'm a man who discovered the wheel and built the Eiffel Tower out of metal and brawn. That's what kind of man I am. You're just a woman with a small brain, <laughs> with a brain a third the size of us. It's science. It's science. <laughs> oh, that's for Maker Man, for those of you who don't know that. So um, I think you just made an appointment, uh, a, an important point. Okay. Um, criticism. Mm-hmm. How we think as parents, criticism, is, it comes very easy to most of us. Yeah. Um, we think that that negative reinforcement will inspire the child to behave, to, to modify their behavior in the way that I want. So for example, somebody brings home a bad test. Mm-hmm. They did poorly on it. And I criticize them saying, you didn't try hard enough. You didn't read enough. You didn't study enough. That's what's all, wrong with you? What's wrong with you? That's all criticism, right? Criticism. And it's criticism. It's projecting shame because mm-hmm. let's say you know mm-hmm. we're trying to make them feel shameful about it. We're thinking that if we use fear and shame and guilt or just overall criticism that we're somehow going to change their behavior. Right. And that scientifically now we mm-hmm. know does not work. I it's never felt right. So people know it doesn't feel right. But um, we're, it's lazy. It doesn't feel right to the person who is enlightened in that moment. But when you're criticizing, um I think that there is a release of I can um I can my, I can do something about this right now. If I make them feel bad, they're going to go upstairs and study harder. I'm not saying this is right. I'm right, saying right. that that totally. is what ends up happening. So um, I, I think it's a, an important distinguish. Uh, d- we need to distinguish between those two things. And in the short run, you might shame them into studying harder on that next test. But in the long run you are doing much more damage to them than good. Absolutely. In your viewpoint, because in that moment, they may run upstairs and study because they are feeling shamed Mm -hmm. and they are feeling scared and they're feeling like they disappointed you and let you down. You will say, well, see, I got them to study. But what you are 
creating is a, a much more conflictual relationship between you and your child. You're creating an inner dialogue for them that is self-criticism. Right. You're creating that inner voice for their <laughs> for their adulthood. And you it's a it's a quick fix. You're giving you're you're being the roommate. You are being you are creating their inner roommate and you're making it louder. They're gonna have one regardless, but if the if a child grows up with a highly critical parent, that is their inner voice. So let's do an example. Okay. Because uh, Skylar doesn't have tests. So it's, okay. she's in kindergarten. Right. So let's say she comes home with a test and she does horribly. And instead of doing all the negative self-talk, um, how would you handle a situation like that? Well, here's the thing is we can talk about it in terms of self-compassion and and keeping ourselves in check. What And I can just say that this is what I do with the girls. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, of course, like I've told the story of like sometimes JC has come home with something and not wanted to show me because she doesn't like to see that initial look of disappointment on my face. I don't even know that I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't say, oh, yeah, that look. But she sees it, either that or she's projecting it. Right. You know, she's putting it on me and saying, you're looking at me disappointed. Really, she's feeling that way about herself. But regardless, I do hear her and I tell her, go write it on a piece of paper first. Then you don't have to see my my face if that's really the case. But with that said, when they come home with not such a great test score, which has happened Mm -hmm. for sure – it's a discussion of tell me about this. Mm-hmm. Was this something that you studied for? Did I help you with this? Did you need help with this? And again, I'm not firing questions at them one after another. Right. I'm just trying to say what the discussion can be. Tell me what you think happened here. Is Was this your best? Meaning, did you go in feeling like you knew it right. and that it just didn't work out test-wise? Because I have a lot of experience with that. Right. I've gone into test situations thinking I am ready, mm-hmm. and the way that the test is structured, I did so poorly. Right. Um, so I can I can hear that. And I've also, you know, the comment that I always say to the girls whenever they have a quote-unquote failure or make a mistake, okay, what can I do to support you with this? Right. How can I help? Instead of here's what you need to do, you're not doing enough, you're not trying enough, that's that's just creating a – of an explosive situation. Like you just said, it's an easy thing to say in the moment, or it may be our natural instinct, because that's how we talk to ourselves. But now, again, I keep saying this, the science thing. Now we know it's not, even though it never felt good, Mm -hmm. and now we know it's not the way to motivate our children. Self-compassion is, tell me about it. What did you? What happened here? But what that's can not self compassion. That's compassion. I know, but to create self compassion in other her. people, Got you it. practice compassion. The way that our children know that self compassion works right. is by seeing that we use it mm-hmm. not only in our own situations but in our parenting. I deserve good things. <laughs> I am entitled to my share of happiness. I refuse to beat myself up. I am an attractive person. <laughs> I am fun to be with. <laughs> Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley is a caring nurturer, a member of several 12-step programs, <laughs> but not a licensed therapist. I'm going to do a terrific show today, and I'm going to help people because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, People like me. 
Senator Al Franken. Everybody. Senator Al Franken. Yay. So, so what about that? What about what, that? What if we're turning our kid into the Stuart Smalley? See, but that it, there is a, and again, I like affirmations just fine, but they also aren't, it's not a practice of living. Mm-hmm. It's just saying something into the mirror. And it's kind of like when people would take the secret you know, the book, The Secret by Rhonda Byrne, and they would cut out a car and put it on their board and say, I should get that car just because it's there. There's more than just saying it. There is the practice of noticing your thoughts. There is the practice of choosing different things. There is the practice of, um, you know, doing activities that that feel good to you, you know, moving your body. There's so many aspects to that, that that is not the end-all be-all. Did you say secret? What is Mr. Robot? Oh, I know. Secret, secret. I've got a secret. <laughs> it's going to take forever for them to say that. How good is this song? Do you know the band did not want to do this whole thing? This is a total Dennis DeYoung creation. Secret, secret. I've got a secret. <laughs> what's this What's this song about? So, who's... Who is Mr. Roboto? Yeah. I saw a, I think it was a Behind the Music with Sticks. And what's his name? Who's the guitar player who ended up being in Damn Yankees? I don't what was know his name? the name of the guitar player. Tommy. Two Tone. No. Tommy. Fitzgerald. Gosh, I can't remember. His name's Tommy. Tommy Gunn. He's the, he's the guitar player in Sticks. Um, and anyway, he was just talking about how this was a total Dennis DeYoung creation that he wanted to do like a big rock opera. He tried to do the wall. He he was. And I don't know if that was his influence, but everyone else was like, oh, my gosh. And this just happens to be a bad song that, well, that I've danced to. Me, too. I was going to say it, it. It did pretty well at the time. Oh, it's yeah. very 80s. And I think it was commentary on our society. Mr. Roboto, you Maybe. know, who knows? All right. Okay, secret, secret. Totally broke your train of thought. So no, it's okay. I think that what that is, the uh, Stuart Smalley stuff, that is the self-esteem stuff. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. So what happens when you're not good enough? What happens when you don't win? What happens when people aren't influenced by you? Mm -hmm. Are you then not good enough? Or can you practice self-compassion and say, I'm actually a normal human being? Well, That's the difference. And I will say, and and you are actually more uh, aware of this than I am, whenever anybody, uh, not whenever, there are times when somebody says something and they exaggerate to the most extreme example. Tommy Shaw. Sorry. Keep yeah, going. <laughs> they exaggerate to the most extreme example. So totally. in other words, here we are saying practice compassion with your kid who brings, out, bring right. home, brings home a bad test. And then I play a clip of Stuart Smalley saying, I don't want my kid to grow up soft. Right. And that's an and that's so those the, are dumb fears. I know, but we do it so often. Like we go to the most extreme case. Exactly. But what I think you and I are saying is if we're going to make a mistake, it's going to be by practicing compassion and love instead of criticism and, you know, any type of negativity. We don't trust that our kids are innately good and that they want to do the best they can for themselves and for the world. They have childish behaviors because Mm -hmm. they're children, meaning sometimes they don't make good choices, sometimes they have tantrums, sometimes, and and actually I think a tantrum is a fine choice if they need to do it. But my point is, is that they... We we have a sense of that we need to control them right. and tell them what to do or else they'll fail. Right. And that is not true. Right. That is what we're trying to challenge is that if you believe that your children are innately good, that if you 
if you focus on that part of them and if you try and enhance that part of them and let them know that you see that part of them and you practice ex- exploring that part of you, then that is what you focus on grows. Right. If you focus on the fact that your child manipulated you one day, which they're going to do, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're going to try, try things. If you say that's who they are, I see nothing else, then you're going to experience more of that. Right. But you have to acknowledge, and again, this is why we're talking about this today is because you know, we have been trying the same thing over and over and wondering why it doesn't work. Right. And you have to try something new. Make a shift. Make a shift. Mix and, it up. And know that it, it may take some time. Your child may not be super comfortable with how can I support you. Totally. They may be so used to being told what it, to do. It might take years to for the seed that you're planting to come to fruition. And I think we as parents want immediate gratification. Oh, I tried that. Oh, it didn't work. It oh, doesn't work. The yeah buts. Yeah. That's my life as a coach is, well, have you ever thought about this? Yeah, but that doesn't work for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, that works for you. It doesn't yeah, work it takes, for me. Uh, it's habitual. you got to make it a habit to practice compassion. And you have to believe and understand why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. If you are listening to this and you're like, I just don't know about self-compassion, go get the book. Mm -hmm. Go get Kristen Neff's book. Listen to her TED Talk. Get more information about it. If it's something you're interested in but you just don't buy it yet Mm – Work on that so when you are practicing it with your child, you have a sense of authenticity Mm -hmm. rather than Kathy and Todd told me this will work because then you're just trying to use it as a means to an end. It's not really a belief system. It's another method. So let's do like an exercise. Let's allow the listeners to come up with one aspect of their life or one example of negative self-talk. Okay. And just try for the next week that instead of doing your own habitual self-criticism, Instead, give yourself like what I say to my men's group and all these other you know friends when I'm talking. Just give yourself a break. Absolutely, ease off the gas pedal on the self criticism. So maybe that'll be the homework for our listeners this week. Is think Pick of one, one thing. thing, one thing, whether it's dealing with your kids or whether it's dealing with yourself or your husband or your wife, whatever it is, and just instead of throwing negativity or criticism at it, whether it's inward or out towards somebody else, try something different and see how it works. Try self-kindness. Notice how you're treating yourself how you versus how you treat other people. Recognize your common humanity that mm-hmm. what you're experiencing, millions of other human beings, billions, have experienced, and practice mindfulness. Notice the words that are coming into your head. Question them. Don't over-identify with them. Start with one thing and recognize how that relieves your stress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how that brings you back into balance, and how it just shifts the whole situation. And we think, oh, it can't be that easy. It feels good. We don't, it, again, this is a quote it I got. It is that easy, and it believe is. it. We don't trust pleasure. Right. We think if we're feeling pleasure, we're wrong. not doing something it's right. It's got to be hard. It ha- you we have, have to, to be, suffer. You have to be swimming upstream, and you got to work really hard in order to gain some sense of gratification. When, if you can just row downstream, That's which right. is what we're talking and about. And you don't even have to row. Mm-hmm. You flow. Mm-hmm. You go with the flow of things. And that mean, that doesn't mean you don't have challenges. It means when a challenge comes, mm-hmm. you recognize it. You say, okay, this is, I need to shift in a different direction. I need to learn something from this. It doesn't have to be the meaning. It doesn't have to become who you are. We we will say if we have a failure, then I'm a failure. A failure is just a part of being a human being, a mistake. What are you looking up? I'm trying to find a John Candy line. Okay. So, so anyway, I agree with Todd. Practice that because the thing is, is the hope is in the long term is that we are learning things and we are practicing things with ourselves so we can pass those things on to our children because you guys, things need to shift. We are at a place where, you know, we, 
just look at what's happening with our government mm-hmm. and look at what's happening, you know, with some of these negative stories. Again, I try not to focus too much on them, but we need to give our kids some better tools mm. to, to view the world and to make choices. I don't know if this is going to be good. Dana, it's not a problem. Oh, no. That's something else. Okay. I'm glad I caught it. Okay. Uh, I'm worried about not getting to my topic. Then go. Okay. Uh, first, I'm going to talk about Avid Company, Jeremy Kraft. Um, he's the owner. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. They specialize in the uh, suburbs, but they will go into the Chicago. Also, uh, painting and remodeling, their number is 630-956-1800. And uh, give them a call because they're really good at what they do and mentions in Parenting Radio, and they'll, uh, they'll treat you well. Trust me. Believe me. I agree. All right. Um, so now I'm doing this men's fraternity thing, and I, for the sake of time, I don't want to explain the whole thing, but we listened to this speaker guy, and I have a clip of him on video, and it talks about the differences between men and women and how they um, have uh, actions of love towards one another, like favors, not favors, but um, you know, just uh, displays of affection, um, you know, honey-do lists. Expressions of love. Expressions of love. Thank you. So um, I don't know how far I'm going to let this play, but it might take a minute. So just okay. listen to it. Here's the scoring difference in a nutshell. Men score their relationship with a woman on the basis of size. The bigger the acts of love, the better and more points a man will award to a woman when she loves him that way. Women, on the other hand, score their relationship with a man on just simply the basis of love, regardless of the size of the love. In other words, all acts of love for a woman are equal. So here's how it works with a man naturally. He thinks that if he takes out the trash, which is a small thing, he'll get one point. On the other hand, if he takes her to a nice restaurant that night, he'll get 10 points. If he takes her on a nice getaway, he'll get 100 points. That's how men naturally think. And using that scoring system, a lot of guys will work hard and try to buy their wives' love off with a few big gifts while ignoring all the little things. Okay, it goes on, but I think that is... I know it's a generalization of the differences between men and women, and you're always, you know, sensitive to saying things black and white. Mm-hmm. Everything is gray. But having said that, I think that this is. I guess my first question is: Do you do you believe this? Generally speaking, I believe is, this in the sense that I the the thing that most many women say to me when it comes to their husbands is the fact that they don't recognize the little things that they don't recognize things like validating what a woman did that day or sitting and listening for a minute or just you know doing something simple like oh I'll I'll take out the trash for you you go sit down mm-hmm. or just these little small acts that build up over the day they would much rather and again I'm saying this in terms of what I'm told, they would much rather not think about those things, kind of be in their own zone, and then come home with flowers. Mm-hmm. The flowers are nice, right. but it doesn't mean any more. Right. It doesn't cover up right. and get rid of everything that happened. I think we as guys have a certain idea of what makes our wife happy. And we think it's candy and chocolates and flowers and trips and, and trips and big stuff because we do our brains uh, are hardwired for um, uh, how do I explain it? 
um, differentiation between acts, expressions of love. Like if we go to Hawaii for a week, that's a huge deal. It's such a financial commitment. It's everything else. It's a huge deposit in the emotional bank account is right. the way you would the perceive it. The way I would perceive it. And, you know, we might be exaggerating the truth, but if I could say we're either going to go to Hawaii or I can say in the next month, I'm going to appreciate a lot of little things that you do. Uh, throughout that month, I have a feeling that from what this guy is saying, and I think I agree with him, that um, it's more, it's as valuable than the big trips are. Well, let's talk about it this way. Say you took me to Hawaii, because we're going to go someday, right, sweetie? We're going to get there. But you take me to Hawaii, and you say, or we take each other. I don't like the you take me. We go to Hawaii, and you're like, okay, you know, I put this trip together. This was my brainchild, so I'm feeling good about this. So then the rest of the trip, you have this assumption that you've already done your big work. Right. So you don't notice what I'm doing. You right. don't acknowledge what I want to do or the fact that I want to do something different. You're like, I've already I've already done the work. I got you to Hawaii. And now I'm done. And now I'm done. Now I wipe my hands clean. Ex- exactly. And if you complain then, about anything. Right. And then you, um, let's say, yeah, if you complain, I'd be like, what is she complaining about? I took her to Hawaii. Why? Yes, we just made this huge commitment, and wh- why can't you just be happy with that? Right, and the thing is, is life doesn't stop on that trip to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. There are still needs. There are still. It doesn't mean that we, as women or you know men for that matter, have gratitude mm-hmm. for that. But taking a trip doesn't wipe away mm-hmm. everything that's happened in the past and everything that's going to happen on that trip. It's not a clean slate kind of thing. We have to be kind to each other. So there's two ways of looking at that. You can look at it like, oh, they, the woman doesn't think it's as big of a deal as I do when we have these big investments or these big trips or whatever, and that sucks. Or you could say, wow, I can really score points by doing a lot of these little things <laughs> right. that um, do not come as natural to uh, me. Like, I can't believe how big of a kick you get out of me making the bed every day. Oh, it's the best thing ever. Why? <laughs> because then I don't have to do it. Because but it when, takes me four and a half seconds. What I do is I go upstairs after like working out or whatever, and I'm thinking I'm going to have to go, you know, get stuff off the bathroom floor and make the bed. And when I go upstairs and the bed is already made, I'm like, woohoo! I, and and I I I believe your authenticity now. But in the beginning, I almost thought like like you were either exaggerating it or you're messing with me. <laughs> no. But like same as like if I look at you in the eyes before you go to work in the morning and I give you a kiss and a good hug because you are always trying to help me with my hugs. Todd does. Todd does the the simple pat on the back, move on. And what was because that? you catch me while I'm in the middle of some other thing, and right. then you slow me down, and you're like, put your arms around me and squeeze. Because he won't squeeze, he'll do like the pat, 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 and I'm like, no, no, and I will grab him right. harder. And you hug are him. ready for a big hug. Like what was that? We were talking about that Modern Family yes. when Cameron's trying to give Mitchell a hug, and Mitchell's, Mitchell's still writing on the whiteboard. He's trying to multitask yeah, during he's the hug. Writing on the to do list, and Todd's got a little of that. But and again, I know I'm choosing when to do the hug, and I'm saying now. Is the time. I know that some of it is about you're busy. Right. But but the truth is is that I don't think there's any time that a hug doesn't. Right. You know, like there's always time for hugs. There's hug. always time for hugs. There's a always hug. room for jello. Do you <laughs> know that that's a phrase? No. There I think that's a phrase. There's always room for jello. I think you made it up. Did I? Yes. Maybe. All right. So anyways, um I think this guy's name is Robert Lewis, but he's really good and I might share some more of his wisdom. Um so what's in your final shows? thought about that? What are you trying My, to tell men? I'm trying to tell men the small stuff is the big stuff. And what are you trying to tell women? Um, I'm trying to tell women I'm starting to get an inkling of how your brain works. And that 
that men's brains tend to work differently. And so it doesn't mean that they're not trying to love you when they're with the big stuff. Have it's just compassion. have compassion. Communicate for each other. to them. Say, yeah. I don't need that. I don't need that. Communicate to them. You know what I need to make me happy? I need you to hug me in the morning. I need you to say something uh, nice to me every day. Right. I need you to. Um, tell our kids how hard I work. Right. You know, like, I need you to bring home 10 lemons and not two lemons. That's right. Like in uh, the breakup. Baby baby wants lemons. Baby gets lemons. <laughs> uh, most people don't know what but we're talking about. But baby needs 10 lemons. Oh. <laughs> oh, I wish I could pull that up. Oh, All see right. if you can find it. Okay. Um, oh. So uh, we are 46 minutes in. Oh, gosh. Then we got to go. Sorry, no lemons on this one. So we will um, uh, continue this conversation next week. We are uh, we have Heather Criswell next uh, this Friday, so make sure you listen to her. Yeah, so we're starting with uh, what's it called? Interviews with people, conversations, conversations with, with people, people we, we love. love, and we're excited to be um, sharing and having conversations with people who we find inspiring, and hopefully you will too. And they're a little bit shorter; they're like thirty minute, um, um, you know, shows. So right. hopefully it fits in your schedule. Um, and my quick tournament of bad, yeah, pumpkin patches. You're not allowed to call it a pumpkin patch if. It's a parking lot. <laughs> right behind uh, the CVS Pharmacy in town here, it uh-huh. says pumpkin patch because they sell pumpkins. But it's on concrete. It's on concrete. It's not a patch. No more calling it a pumpkin patch. Linus wouldn't hide there for um, the, to find the great pumpkin. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes. Share our show on Facebook. Just do something cool, man. Just do something. Just, or just, you know what? Practice self-compassion this week. And, do that and change the world. And throw us a review. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you next week. Bye-bye.